And thank the Lord for an amazing prayer. Amen. Hey, just before you're seated, well, go ahead and be seated. Just turn to the person next to you. I do this everywhere I go. And just smile and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day. Just tell, just tell them you're hot. Yeah. Well, it is so good to be back in Springfield, Oregon. I believe the last time I was here was over 20 years ago. Holy smoke. And... It was over 20 years ago, and the Lord was so gracious to us. Uh, Todd was the lead pastor then, and, and he, the Lord was so gracious to us. We ended up going in a citywide revival. Several other churches involved with us ended up at the local high school, and uh, I told Pastor Brent, I'll never forget that day that I gave the altar call in that local high school here, and all of the bleachers were filled with the football team wearing their jerseys, and the cheerleaders were there that day, and they all came out of the bleachers and they gave their life to Christ. It was an amazing day. And I believe God wants to do it again. If you believe that, can we clap our hands and give the Lord praise? Yeah, I believe it. Came across something I thought you might enjoy. Mr. Johnson, a 70-year-old widower, he went to the doctor, wasn't feeling well. So the doctor checks him out, sends him on his way. Several weeks later, that same doctor sees Mr. Johnson. Now they're at the country club. And Mr. Johnson has a 24-year-old blonde bombshell hanging all over his arm. And so the doctor, he walks over and he pulls him aside and he said, Wow, Mr. Johnson, you must be feeling a whole lot better. He said, Yes, sir, I am. I'm just following your orders. And the doctor says, Oh, really? Well, what orders are they? He said, Well, you said find a hot mama and be cheerful. The doctor looked at him perplexed and said, no, I didn't. I said, you have a heart murmur. Be careful. <laughs> Some of you will catch that later. And, <laughs> and the reason I start out with that is because Mr. Johnson went to the doctor and he heard what he wanted to hear. And there are many times we come to the house of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, who is the great physician, he speaks to your heart a specific word. And if you're not careful, you only hear it the way you want to hear it. And I want you to hear it exactly the way God says it. If you believe that, someone just shout amen. amen. Now get your Bible and turn it on with me. And yeah, you're slow, but you're worth waiting for. You got that. And turn with me to Psalm 34 and 1. If you are a frequent attender here at the church, you know that we are in a series on Psalms. Psalm 34 and 1. And the title of this message is The Power of Worship That Brings God's Presence. The Power of Worship That Brings God's Presence. David said in Psalm 34 and 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. Someone shout all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast to the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from all of my fears. Hear that part again. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. 
the main purpose of my message this morning is to stir up in you things that you already have. For the Bible teaches that you have an anointing that abides. The anointing is a personality trait of the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. He comes into your life and he brings with him his personality. Now there are many major characteristics of the Holy Spirit. He comes as wind, as rain, as air. But today you need to know he also comes and his personality is the anointing. The anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit. And I want to stir that gifting up in you so that you can begin to rise to the task that God has for you. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. But let me tell you how powerful that statement really is. Did you know, friends, there are 10 chapters in the Bible that relate to the life of Abraham. There are 11 chapters in the Bible that relate to the life of Jacob. Now remember, Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel, and his grandchildren from his son Isaac became the nation of Israel, and we know how amazing that is, and yet there are only 11 chapters in the Bible dedicated to Jacob. We know that there are 10 chapters in the Bible devoted to Elijah and Elisha, the two major miracle-working ministries in the Old Testament. However, there are 66 chapters in the Bible that directly relate and completely relate to the life of David. And over 1,200 references are given to his name from the Genesis to the Revelation. In addition, 59 times David is mentioned in the New Testament. When you think of faith, you think of Abraham. When you think of the law, you think of Moses. When you think of miracles, you think of Elijah and Elisha. But when you think of the power of God's presence, when you think of the power of worship operating in our daily life, you have to think about God's song and dance man, David. There must be a reason. Why the Holy Spirit inspired and directed the writers of Scripture to keep referencing and speaking about David. In my study, I began to say, Lord, why is it that you kept bringing up David's name over 1,600 times in the Bible, 66 different chapters? Why do you keep referencing David? Well, I believe it's because he loved the presence of the Lord. I've got to ask you, are you in love with the presence of the Lord? There are two major events in David's life that stand out to me that show us his love for the presence of the Lord. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, David is cartwheeling and he's dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, the city of David. And you must know that the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence with Israel. In it were three things. Aaron's rod, which represents God's leadership. The Ten Commandments, which represents God's law. And the manna, which represents God's provision. God's law, God's leadership, and God's provision are coming back to the nation of Israel. I am praying and fasting that God's law, God's leadership, and his provision come back to the nation of America. If you believe that, someone shout amen to that. And so David, he is celebrating. And he's dancing before the presence of the Lord. And the reason he's celebrating is the Ark of the Covenant during the reign of King Saul had not held the prominence or the importance it should have held in the nation. In other words, 
Saul didn't find the presence of God as important as it really is. And so David, in his eyes, this is a great grievance to Israel, almost an insult, just as much as the Philistine giant Goliath was an insult. And the Philistines, they stole the ark of God, and they thought, if we could steal the ark, we'll be invincible in war. No one will be able to beat us. And they thought that because the children of Israel would always take the Ark of the Covenant into battle with them. And God made them invincible. They were soon to find out that there's a price to pay to bring God's presence. There's a price to pay to bring God's anointing in your life. And the Bible says that when they stole the Ark of the Covenant, God's hand was heavy against them and he struck them with tumors. One translation says he struck them with emeralds. That's the King James. My personal favorite translation is the Living Bible that says, God struck them with hemorrhoids. (laughs) It's in there. I want you to imagine a whole nation of people that can't sit down. (laughs) And they were soon to find out that when you play games with God, God will always get you in the end. Amen? (laughs) That's corny, but it's funny. And it says that when they realized the hand of God was heavy against them, they said, send it back, get rid of it. And they put the cart on a vehicle, a man, a, a, a ark on a cart or a program, and they sent it back. David hears that the ark is coming. And so the Bible says in 1 Samuel 30, or 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 2, David brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000 of them. That's, the able men are fighting men from 13 to 30. He takes 30,000 men with him to go get God's presence. Oh, do you understand the significance? To go get God's leadership, God's law, and God's provision. Here is a husband. Here is a father. Here is a politician. Here is a man that realizes there's nothing more important than the presence of God. He had all kinds of people to meet with. He had industries that he had to govern. He had a nation he had to run. He had embassies that he had to see over. But there was nothing more important than the presence of God. There was no excuse. I've got to be in the presence of the Lord. And he takes 30,000 men with him. And they're celebrating with all their might before the Lord. This was a high point in David's life. But then we see him in 1 Samuel 30 on another occasion where the saddest day of his life, when the Amalekites had raided the Negev and the Ziklag, that's David's hometown. And David and his mighty men, the Green Beret of Israel, the the Navy SEALs of Israel, they come back home from an amazing victory to find out that their homes have been destroyed, their families have been stolen, and everything they loved, both young and old, is no longer there. And the Bible says on that day, David had lost everything that is dear to him. 30 verse 4 through 6. So David wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever gone through a situation so difficult and so deep that even after the tears are shed, you still are grieving and you have no more tears to weep? There's just a hole, a void. Last year, around 
March, America was cruising through. Oh, we were so excited. The Dow Jones was going through the roof, and we were seeing the greatest economy in the history of the world. Everything was wonderful. And then a storm came out of the east, and America went into what's called bitterness of soul. Suddenly now, there came a lockdown. There were many that the opioid crisis began to go through the roof. The divorce rate began to skyrocket. People began to look around. Our email and our ministry in Springfield, Missouri began to blow up and Instagram and Facebook all asking the same question. Pastor, what in the world is going on? And it said David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Listen, those same men that the day before would very easily give their life for David were now thinking of killing him because each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. I got emails in the office from men who have been serving God for years and years and years and years. And when the COVID thing hit and they're locked down, they started going through such a deep turmoil that they even started saying, I'm leaving the ministry. What? I- I'm-, I'm walking away from my marriage. Bitterness of soul. And the Bible says that when David was going through that, he encouraged himself in the Lord. You're making me wish I had time to teach you that there will come a time in your walk with God that you're going to have to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. What's amazing is on both occasions, in the happiest day of his life and on the saddest day of his life, his reaction, his basic instinct was exactly the same. On both occasions, he worshipped. He turned both situations into a time of praise and worship. In the highs and in the lows, he wanted to be in the presence of God. This is why the Holy Spirit kept telling the writers of Scripture, remind them of David. Talk about David. In all of his insecurities, in all of David's warts, and all of his problems and his emotional rants, he still wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. Friends, all the commentaries I have read and that said the nation of Israel grew and prospered more under King David than at any other time in the history of the nation of Israel. And it was because he was a man of worship. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear me, businessman? Did you hear me? Did you listen to me, pit person? You have those of you that have a vision for ministry. Did you hear me, mom? Did you hear me, dad? Did you hear me, single mom? He was a man of worship. Listen to me, church. The challenge for our family is simple. In the highs and in the lows, we want to be in the presence of the Lord. His main emphasis in life was the presence of the Lord. The nation prospered and grew greater than at any other time in the history of the nation of Israel. Can you imagine what would happen in this church if we took David's example serious? Can you imagine what would happen in America if the six million people who claim to be born again? There are six million people who claim to be Christians in America. 
Can you imagine what would happen if we took David's example serious and that in the highs and in the lows, in sickness and in health, no matter the situation, no matter who's sitting in the White House, no matter who's sitting in Congress, no matter who's sitting in the Senate, that we would be people of worship, that we would be people of praise, that we would lift our hands in every situation and say, my God is able to deliver God is able to expand and grow and prosper our lives as well as his church here on earth like never before. If you really believe that, someone clap your hands and give him praise. Yes. Listen, evangelism comes out of worship. Here's what many people do not understand. They wonder why we worship the way we worship. They'll come in and they'll say, why do they raise their hands? Why do some cry? Why do some get so caught up that they get a little excited and they, and they dance a little? Why do they shout out? It's foreign to us. The answer is, Jesus has set us free. And he who the Son has set free is what? Free indeed. And because of that, we must be a people who are unashamed and uninhibited to give God boisterous, amazing, and sometimes loud, even shouting praise. It's a pillar of the church. See, worship brings evangelism. People get saved when the church starts to worship. People are healed in the presence of God. Things begin to happen. Marriages are restored. Cancers are removed in the presence of God. Lives are changed in the presence of God. In first John, excuse me, John 4 and 3 and 42, Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. The word must makes it clear that this is a divine appointment. And when he gets there, he sits down by a well and he tells his disciples, you go and get a box lunch and you bring it back. I've got a divine appointment. I've got someone I've got to meet. And he sits there at noon in the hottest part of the day, and he waits. Understand, he's waiting for you. He waits. And he's waiting for a woman, a Samaritan woman. And the Bible says she's living a life of ill repute. Some say she is a prostitute. We really don't know if she was, but we do know she had five husbands and was living with number six out of wedlock. And we know this because Jesus asked her, woman, where is your husband? And she says, I don't have one. And he says, yeah, I know. And the one you're living with is not your man either. (laughs) And by this, she realizes he's a prophet. They have an amazing conversation, and then she begins to ask him probably the most pressing theological question for first century Samaritans. She looks right at him and says, where is the proper place of worship? And the reason, this is an important question, the Samaritans were descended from the Israelite people who had not been deported when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdoms in 722 and 721 B.C., and they had allowed other people into their region, Second Kings 17 tells us, who brought with them their false gods and false worship, and yet even though they were allowing infiltration from the world to come in, the Samaritans were still longing for the real thing. The real thing. And by an upraised hand, how many will say, Pastor Randy, I'm longing for the real thing. I want a 
a real move of God. Come on, if that's you, put your hands up. Yeah, that's why you're here. If the COVID has done anything, it has caused a hunger in the church. We want the real thing. And she looks at you, she says, I want the real thing, in essence, is what she is saying. And Jesus looks at her and says, your fathers worshiped on this mountain, but the hour is coming and is now is here, where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Listen now, for the Father will seek out those who worship him. You want the real thing? Often we say, I'm seeking God. But Jesus said, when you begin to worship God, God says, I will seek you out. Do you understand the significance of what we just said? How many of you would like the God of the universe to come seek you out? He literally comes looking for you in the form of the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. The moment you begin to worship, the moment you begin to praise, you might be a single mom and you're saying, is anybody out there? Does anybody understand what I'm going through? Does anybody even care that I'm lonely? And the Bible says the moment you begin to worship God, the moment you lift your voice and you lift your hands, the God of the universe, the one who said, let there be light, and there was light, the one who told the ocean this far and no further, the one who breathed the breath of life into Adam, the same God comes and seeks you out. Maybe you're in the car and you're on your way to your job and and you don't know if you're going to be fired or you don't know what the day's going to hold. And you're saying, Lord, are you even there? See, this is why David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. David is saying, if you want to make something greater in your life, don't make your problems greater. Exalt and make your God greater. Learn to exalt his name. Why? Because he comes and seeks you out. He searches for you. The Samaritan woman caught on fire, in spiritual fire, when Jesus had the conversation with her about worship. She ran back, and the Bible says she starts telling people about Jesus. This was citywide evangelism. They literally, the disciples come back with the lunch, scratching their head, because they're looking around, and they're saying, what in the world is going on? She brought every broken and bruised and hurt person she can get her hands on. And she said, you need to come back and hear this man. Could he be the Messiah? She actually became the first evangelist in the Gospel of John. And she began to say, you got to hear this guy. Listen, a whole city can be saved when God finds a church that will worship him in everything that they do. Your life Monday through Saturday matters. How you live your life Monday through Saturday matters. Would you say that with me? Monday through Saturday matters. That's why David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. In other words, join with me in worship. Join with me in praise, not just on the Sabbath, but every day of your life. Every day. And then he says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. Listen, the spirit of worship creates the spirit of evangelism. David wrote worship songs in the book of Psalms, and it's interesting that Jesus quoted from the book of Psalms more than any other Old Testament writer. More than Isaiah, Ezekiel, writings of Moses. He quotes more from David, and all he's doing is quoting worship songs. 
The book of Psalms is a collection of 150 worship songs and worship poems written to God. David penned half of them, and the rest were written by temple worship leaders like the sons of Asaph and the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. And did you know that Jesus quotes personally Psalms on 11 different occasions? Jesus, the greatest Old Testament scholar of all time, uses the book of worship as one of his greatest tools in his preaching arsenal to fulfill the missional purpose. And he himself said, my mission is to seek and save those who were were lost. Right. He knew if I can get people to worship Monday through Saturday. Not just on Sunday. Because people are watching. And they see your life. And they see how you respond to the COVID. They see how you respond to the politics of the day. They see how you respond to everything that's happening. And when we respond with a presence of God, they say, oh, that's how you treat your wife. Oh, that's how you treat your children. Oh, 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 now, now we see how we're supposed to operate in a world that's gone crazy. I often say we're living in a day and age where America is so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. And people are looking and they're saying, oh, that's how you do it. And Jesus uses the book of Psalms because he knew worship will bring about evangelism. And David wrote worship songs and praised God like no other. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. I love it that he said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me. From all of my fears. Would you agree with me that there's a spirit of fear in the hearts of many Americans today? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. While I was watching ESPN just before I came to church, and they said that last night during the Nationals San Diego Padres game, uh, baseball game in Washington, D.C., there was shooting that happened outside. I don't know how many of you saw that, but there was a shooting outside. And you could actually hear it on the broadcast, the the loud pops going off from the guns outside. It sent the stadium into panic. Fear gripped the people. And they're literally jumping behind chairs and hiding. And immediately the Lord brought to my mind, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. In Acts 15 and 16, there's a prophecy that I want you to see. It says, after these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. When it says all the Gentiles, it's talking about you and I, the wild bunch of non-Jews that are crafted in. The tabernacle had to do with the fact that David brought the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, God's presence with Israel. And he set it on Mount Zion. And then he placed it under a tent and he rolled up the flaps of the tent. Because David knew the nation needed the presence of God. You see, up to that point, the people had been banned from being in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Can you imagine being banned from the presence of God? The women had to stay in the court of the women. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I cannot imagine my beautiful wife of 32 years not being allowed to get in the presence of the Lord. I couldn't imagine my daughter 
not being allowed to get in the presence of the Lord. And yet there are many today that are not getting into the presence of God. And the Bible says that he set it under a tent because the God of heaven wanted a seat on earth. That's also mind-blowing. Can you imagine the God of the universe wanted a seat on earth? He created the earth, and he wanted a seat on earth. It was called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. God's presence would sit on the Ark of the Covenant. While preaching in Springfield, Missouri, a missionary friend from Japan, she's a little cute little lady, and, and she came up. She said, oh, Pastor, it's so good to see you. It's so, I said, it's so good to see you, too. And she said, what is your favorite scripture? And I said, well, I love Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I can quote the whole chapter. And she said, oh, my favorite is Psalm 22.3. I said, well, why is that? She said, because it says God is enthroned or inhabits the praises of his people. And she said, in Japanese, the translation is, whenever people worship, God brings his big comfy chair and he sits right down. <laughs> Don't you want to make God comfortable this morning? Is there anyone that wants to make God comfortable in your house, in your marriage, in your home, in your business? Don't you want him to come to this church and sit in your altars and prop up his feet in his big old lazy boy chair? Don't you want to make him comfortable? Is your prayer this morning, come on in, Holy Spirit, bring your lazy boy chair and kick up your feet because when you are here, there's healing. When you are here, there is deliverance. When you are here, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. When you are here, God, miracles happen. Oh, come on now. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Is there anybody that wants to make him comfortable this morning? And the way you make him comfortable is an atmosphere of worship, of praise. Do you know why you get answers to prayer? It's not simply because you fast. It's because of the mercy of God. Do you know why you get healed and get miracles and get blessed? Not because of any works that you can produce. It's the mercy of God. And we have in our, in our Western mentality, we think healing is like buying a lottery ticket. That, well, I guess God will show up, and if I'm lucky, he'll heal me. No, no. There are biblical principles that when you worship him, when you walk with him, when you talk with him, you begin to put a draw on the anointing. The anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit. It's not by luck. It's, it's by his presence. How hungry are you for his presence? And you create an atmosphere. In fact, right now, I want to take a little praise break. And I want you to forget the person to the left or the right of you. And I want you to lift your hands and just begin to lift your voice and begin to pray out loud. Say, Lord, we need you. I want you to tell him how much you love him. Right now, right now, just lift your hands and praise him. You say, well, I feel uncomfortable. I'm not used to that. Well, if you'll step out of the ordinary and do something you normally don't do, God will meet you. So right now, come on, just begin to praise him. Call out your children. Call out your grandchildren. Tell them how much you love him. Tell them how much you need him. Create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move. Give him a seat in your business. And the more you praise him, the bigger the chair gets. That's it. Praise him. Lord, I praise you right now. I welcome you here, Lord. Out of the abundance of our heart, Lord, the mouth will speak. 
In the name of Jesus. Oh, that, that's it. Don't stop. Don't stop. Just praise him. This is how you do it at home. This is how you do it in your car. Lord, I'm just going to praise you. Before the miracle comes, before the healing comes, Lord, for my children and my grandchildren, Lord, we're going to worship you and praise you. We welcome you here. We need you here. And the Bible says he rolled up the sides of the tent of the tabernacle. In essence, David was saying, I want all of you to know God's presence. And he said, bring me some musicians. He had 274 of them, according to scripture. They surrounded the Ark of the Covenant in four different ships, 24 hours a day. And when you study scripture, you find out it was for 360 days a year. You say, well, wait a second, Pastor. Did they take off five days because they got tired? No, they have an ecclesiastical calendar. We have a lunar calendar. And so they were operating on 360 days. Can you imagine 360 days, a solid year, 24 hours a day in four different shifts, 274 musicians that were lifting up praise and worship and adoration to God over a thousand tongues to sing praises to my king, the hymnologist wrote. They were worshiping God. And, and listen, friend, they didn't do it for one day. They did it for 33 years. They played musical instruments. And the people get into the presence of God. Now you know why David is mentioned all those times in Scripture. He's a man of the presence of God. In 1 Chronicles 16 and 37, it says, So David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly or continually. Listen, do you know why we need so much worship and praise? It's because Satan's opposition is continual. Mom and dad, you hear me. He never lets up on your children. He'll never let up on a culture. It blows my mind. I've been in 33 years. I've been in ministry now. And things are happening today that I couldn't possibly dream about when I was a teenager. The confusion of the gender, the confusion of the politics, People rioting in the streets. There's just mass confusion. And, and people are saying, what in the world is going on? Now is the hour, now is the time for the church to rise up. And the reason we need so much worship is because Satan's opposition is continual. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan accuses us before God day and night. In the book of Job, Job chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. I believe he was there in God's throne room to accuse God's church, to accuse you and to accuse me. Listen to me, friend. 24 hours a day, there is a demon somewhere accessing and accusing you before the throne of God. And based on the book of Job, we know the devil knows how to get into the presence of God. And that's mind-blowing. 
And by the way, you need to hear me say that Satan or Lucifer is not the equal to God. Oh, you didn't catch it. Satan or Lucifer is not the equal to God. Amen. He is a created being that was given a free will just like all of us. He's an archangel. His job was to surround the throne of God with praise. Pride filled his life. You read that in the book of Isaiah. He said, I will ascend to the throne of God. I will ascend and be greater. I will sit on God's throne. And he got tossed out of heaven. And his name at the time was Lucifer or Lucent or light bearer. As he got tossed out, it became deceiver, destroyer. And he became the arch enemy of God, but he's not the equal with God. He's a created being. And yet he has the audacity to come into God's throne room and accuse you and I before the king. Friend, if the devil is going to be there accusing, I believe we need to be here praising. If the devil is persistent enough to accuse day and night, I would hate to think the devil is willing to go through more to get into the presence of God to accuse than we are willing to go through to get into the presence of God to praise. Especially since we already know that everything he's accusing the church of, the blood of Jesus has already covered. We are already forgiven. We are already accepted. We are already chosen. We're already righteous before God. He's a liar and the father of lies. Do not allow him to steal the presence of God from your life. Amen. And yet we can let the smallest things discourage us from worship. That's why David says, come on, gang, magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. In other words, you've got to seek him. And when you seek him, he comes and finds you. The man of worship was extolling us, saying, don't stop praising no matter what situation you find yourself in. Don't stop lifting up praise. Did you know that there was a man in the Bible who lived in the tombs of the Gadarenes who was filled with 2,000 demons? 2,000 demons. Mark 5 tells us that this man was so filled with so many demonic powers that they gave him supernatural power to break chains. He would tear the chains, you know, he would tear the ropes. He's running through the catacombs of the graveyards, howling like a wild animal. He's, he's scratching at himself. He's separated from his wife and his children. And he sees Jesus, Mark 5 says, stepping out of the boat, and he starts to run to him. And Mark 5 says, when he sees Jesus, he falls at his feet and begins to worship. Did you know nothing in this world is authorized to stop your worship? Not even 2,000 demons can stop you from worship if you really want to praise the Lord. Nothing can separate you. No trial, no burden, no cancer, no x-ray, no bill, no setback, no COVID-19. Or the diverse of the COVID-19 now they're saying there's a new strain to it. Nothing can stop your worship. If you really want to worship him, the only thing that's authorized to stop your worship is you. It's you. When, he, when the devil gets you to the point that you're so discouraged and so isolated, you say, well, it's just not worth it anymore. And he's pushing, and he's pushing. And you know the Bible never uses the word depression, but it says put on a garment of praise.
Oh, you're making me wish. And when you praise him, Jeremiah 33 says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you don't even know. Just call upon him. Just praise him. In the good and in the bad. In sickness and in health. Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry. I love that. Pray and let God worry. The musicians are coming quickly. I want you right now to understand that the same God of David is the God here today. He's an amazing God. And he answers to your worship. He answers to your praise. Listen, David learned a huge lesson about praise and worship in God's presence when he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that David had all the greatest intentions in the world. But when he saw the Ark of the Covenant, remember I told you the Philistines had put the Ark on a cart, a vehicle of men. And David saw it on the cart, and he thought to himself, well, it would be a whole lot easier to leave it there and pull it behind me. But David made the huge mistake Because he knew that the Ark of the Covenant was never to be put on a cart. But they would lift it up and they would put it on the shoulders of godly people. And they would feel the weight of God's law, God's leadership, and God's provision in their life. Many times their knees would buckle under the weight. But I'm deeply concerned that the modern day church puts more of an emphasis on our programs than we do God's presence. And it's easy to pull God behind us. God never blesses programs. He blesses men and women who will give their life to him. Because understand, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, are you ready? You're the new Ark of the Covenant. Young man, you're the vessel that God wants to put his law, his leadership, and his provision in. Your shoulders are the mercy seat where the presence of God longs to sit on you. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is up on me. Up on me. He just come out of the wilderness, been isolated with the Holy Spirit, on his way to Calvary, Knows he needs a supernatural anointing to carry a cross through the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. Knows he's going to the cross, so he says, the Spirit of the Lord is up on me. The anointing of the Holy Spirit comes at times of crisis, compromise, and opportunity. And he wants to rest on you. He wants you to carry his anointing. But David realizes, and he makes the mistake... And so the Bible says, when it got to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, 2 Samuel 6, verse 6 through 14. 
because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Uzzah and Ahio were the grandsons of the high priest. They grew up in church. But they'd lost the fear of the Lord. They forgot to magnify the Lord, like David said. It took David three months to get over what had taken place. Now the ark was resting in the house of Obed-Edom, God's anointing, God's presence. And it was six miles from the house of Obed-Edom to the tabernacle that David had built. And David realized, I've put God on a cart. Don't miss this. If you tell God, Lord, you can have this part of my life, but my finances are mine, you've got God on a cart. Lord, you can have this part, but my dating situation is mine. You've got God on a cart. Lord, you can have 80% of my life, but I'm going to run this part. Then you put God on a cart, and you're pulling him behind you, and he says, no, 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 no. I want to rest on you. And the blessings will flow as you allow me to rest on you. That's why David said, I sought the Lord. What are you seeking after? I sought the Lord. Well, they took the ark and they put it on the shoulders of a holy priesthood. They burnt the, the cart. And the Bible says that every six steps, David stopped. Now, please understand, the average step is two feet, two inches. So now they've got the Ark of the Cup. They can feel the full weight of God's provision, his law, his, his leadership. David's magnifying the Lord. He's seeking after him. And they take six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. They can feel the weight of God's presence. They look. No one's died. David say, hold it. Build an altar, take an oxen, cut it, dress it. Lay it on the altar, take a lamb, cut it, dress it. Lay it on the altar, burn them both up. Worship God, send up incense. Okay, when that's done, pick up the cart. Another six step, two feet, two inches. One, two, three, four, five, six. Hold it, build an altar, get an oxen, cut it, dress it. Lay it on the altar, take a lamb, cut it, dress it. Lay it on the altar, burn them both up. Worship, send up incense. He did this for six solid miles. 2,437 total stops over six miles. 406 stops per mile. 2,437 oxen slain, 2,437 calves slain. If it took 30 minutes to prepare for the ritual sacrifice, that's 1,259 hours or 52 days to make a six-mile journey. Eight hours of sleep, three hours to eat each day. That's 630 more hours, three hours to eat each day. That's 630 more hours, 26 more days to cover six miles. Do the math. It took David 78 days just to move the ark from one place to the other. He said, we got to do this thing right. And David understood that I go to battle as a leader of a nation with the bullet of worship, the bullet of God's presence, 
and we do the same. But now add the third bullet for us, the infilling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And now that you are the new mercy seat, God wants to be comfortable in your home. Can you imagine what would happen if we, as the new Ark of the Covenant, said, Holy Spirit, be comfortable here. Be comfortable here. For I will bless the Lord at all times, in the good times and in the bad times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Listen to me. In 32 years of ministry, I have never seen a praiser defeated. Never. As long as you keep a praise in your mouth. With that, I want you to stand right now, and I want you to lift your voice, and I want you to begin to praise him. Whatever situation you are in right now, I want you to praise him. Just praise him. Things might be going very well, but things might not be very well. Whatever situation you find yourself in, I want you to praise him. You're the Ark of the Covenant. America needs a move of God. So as they play softly, I want you to lift up your voice and you just praise him. I'll praise you, Lord. I'll praise you, Lord. I'll worship you, Lord. Lord, in sickness and in health, Lord, I'll worship you. No matter what happens, no matter what comes, I'll praise you, Lord. I'll praise you. That's it. Don't stop. Just praise you. Lord, I thank you before the miracle comes. Lord, I want to thank you before the healing comes. Lord, I want to thank you, Father. You are God. You are almighty God. In sickness and in health. I don't want to limit you, Lord. I welcome your presence. I welcome your presence. I welcome your presence. Everything in me is, gonna, is calling us to prayer, and I know the hour is quickly fading. Because of schedules, i got to be at the airport to board a plane in about an hour. But that doesn't mean you don't have to stop worshiping. At the count of three, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and say, two feet with every step, two feet, two inches. And just pray for the God of heaven to be comfortable in your life, in your family. I'll go with you so you don't have to go alone. I urge people of the presence of God. Make it a priority in your life. Make it a priority to spend time with him on a daily basis, to hunger and thirst for more of him. Not politics, not man, not, but Lord, we just want your presence. We're longing for your presence. So we're going to make the whole room an altar. Pastor Brent told me, he said, listen, Randy, I, I just, I realize what, I, we just want the presence of God in our church. We need it. We're longing for it. And so whatever situation you find yourself in, there's nothing more powerful than the name of Jesus. Let me close with this. I shared it with the first service. I got a call from a young lady. She said, Pastor, where are you? I said, well, I just got off the plane in Springfield, Missouri, where I live. And, and she said, well, will you come to the hospital? The baby has come early. I said, well, honey, if the baby's come early, 
it's pretty serious, but this is really early. You see, I've known her for most of her life, preached for her dad and her granddad, amazing pastors, great church. They were at Evangel University studying for the ministry. Her husband was at the seminary, an amazing communicator. And as I'm going across town, I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, I need words of comfort, of exhortation, and sensitive counsel. Have you ever been faced with a situation where you knew you had to minister to somebody, but you had nothing? And you're asking the presence of the Lord, Lord, I need word. I need something, Lord. But heaven's silent. So I began to worship. In the car, I just began to sing and worship. Pulled into Mercy Hospital, went upstairs to the neonatal unit, and the elevator door is open, and there she's standing. She's got her one hand on the IV bottle. The other hand is closing <laughs> that gown that's always so, you know, difficult. She's a half pint, not even a full pint. She's just a half pint. That's how little she was. And out of her mouth, she looks at me and she says, It's not fair! I said, yeah, I know. Why, Pastor? We're up to our eyeballs in financial <laughs> financial mess because of all the loans we have for Bible college and seminary. My parents are ministers. My grandparents are ministers. And I said, well, honey, the, this place is not our home. And the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We're all good. I wish I could tell you you're not going to go through a hard time, but I can't. She looks right at me. She says, I'm so angry at God. And I said, that's okay. And I know that might shock some, but the Bible tells us we can be angry and sin not. Well, at what point does it become sin? The moment you let the devil push your anger to bitterness. The moment you get so bitter that you walk away from God. I said, well, honey, where's your husband? And she said, he's down here. And as we're walking in my spirit, I'm praying, Lord, I need words of comfort, of exhortation, of sensitive counsel, Lord. I, I had nothing. So I began to worship in my spirit, just praising. I walked in, and her husband's got his arms inside the incubator. And as I got close, you could see the tears pooling on the acrylic and a tiny little body in the incubator with an ivy in his head and in his foot. She's standing next to me, and she's just angry. And I was worshiping in my spirit. I said, Lord, and the Holy Spirit whispered. I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was just an urgency. Randy asked her to welcome me into her human experience. That's it, God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. I looked at her and I said, listen, God just wants you to welcome you, welcome him into your human experience. She said, I can't do it. Stomps her foot. I can't do it. Her husband pulls his hands out from that incubator. He said, yes, we can. And he lifted his hands and it sounded very quiet at first. But I heard him say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And friend, that's all it took. I've been in some amazing meetings where the presence of God was tangible. But when he said that, my knees buckled as the presence of God. It was almost as if the Holy Spirit was waiting 
Not almost, it was. He was waiting to be welcomed in, to let him do his job. And the moment he said that, the presence of God was so real. To this day, that child has astounded the minds of the doctors. He's athletic. He's a big, strapping young man. But I learned a lesson that day. It's time to welcome him into our human experience. So for the next 30 seconds, would you forget the person to the left and to the right and join King David and magnify the Lord and lift your voice and welcome him into your human experience right now. Right now. Right now. Just welcome him. Lord, I welcome you into my human experience. I, I ask you, Lord, and call your children by name. Call your grandchildren by name. Lord, as Americans, we welcome you into our nation. Our nation needs you. We pray for President Biden. We pray for Vice President Kamala Harris, Lord. We pray for the Senate and we pray for Congress, Father. Lord, we need an outpouring of your presence. We need you, Lord. We need you. We praise you. We praise you. Oh, don't stop. Don't stop. I praise you. It's been my joy to be with you. I hope I see you again. It's not 20 years from now, like the last time. But I've asked that Pastor just lead us in worship. I think he's going to take an offering for the ministry. We need your help because of the COVID. It's restricted us continually. But listen, we have what's called a five-Sunday month. It'll be the first Sunday of August. That we put into a, an account, finances, and... When that fifth Sunday month comes, we take the money out of that account and we go to a bivocational pastor that can't afford to put us up, they can't afford to fly us in, and we bring them an offering and we minister to them and their family. We do an outside event. We see people want to Christ. We help them in their ministry. That's what you're giving towards. Thank you for being such an amazing church. Father, we welcome your presence here. We pray in the name of Jesus as we open these altars, Lord, and as we worship you and praise you, that we would become the Ark of the Covenant, Lord, and that your presence, and if we're trusting anything else besides you, that we would burn those cards. So let's praise him right now. Pastor, would you just lead us? Let's praise him. There's no prison wall you can break through, no mountain you can move, things are possible there's no broken body you can raise no soul that you can save things are possible the darkest night you can light it up you can light it up God of revival, pour it out, pour 
have a seat real quick. We have the ushers coming up forward, and we're going to take an offering. So uh, this is also an opportunity for you to turn your connection cards and your tithes and offerings, but we want to take a special opportunity, uh, pretty much a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be able to support Pastor Randy. Uh, I'm so thankful for what he's doing, not just here, but all over the country and all over the world. You heard a little bit of what he does, and so this is an opportunity for us to maybe not be able to go with him, but financially go with him and help support him so that he can continue his work. I think of like the missionary Paul in the book of Acts where he talks about the church of Rome giving him money so that he can go and spread the gospel all through the world. So he said the blessing was on them as well. And so as we give this morning, make sure to uh, mark it on on your uh, envelope, but as we give this morning, this is our way of being able to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus with them. Amen. Ushers, go ahead and uh, take the offering. As they're doing that, I have a quick story, uh, a testimony that I'd love to share. This is my friend Summer. Say hi, Summer. Hi. Someone say hey. Hey. What's up? Uh, this is her first week up here. And the reason the reason I am excited is it hasn't been that long that you've even been here, have you, Summer? Like two months. Like two months. But God's been working on her life. She's been growing, following Jesus, been a part. Uh, and I just want to encourage you guys. God is doing awesome things in our church. She's a, she's a tangible testimony of what God is doing. So be encouraged because God's not done. There's more summers out there in the world, right? Amen. And so if you're here and you haven't started serving, summer is it awesome to serve? Yes. Make sure you serve. If you're here for the first time and you want to find a local church to be a part of, I recommend this place. Five stars on Google. What can I say? It's going to be awesome. Have a great one, Dad. We love you. 